Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Oh, the LSU Tigers avoid the midweek meltdown. But it was a little nervous for more than a few innings last night at the box. But the Tigers pull away late, defeating the McNeese Cowboys by the final score of 7-4. to four. They get to win number 40 on the year. And now they only have three games left in the regular season with a road trip to the Georgia Bulldogs on tap. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your big, bald, and beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Of course, joining me here in the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette is the producer extraordinaire, Mr. Dawson Iserlow. We got a lot to get to today. It's a jam-packed edition of RP3 and Company. We got the foodie poll question of the week, which we will unveil. That'll be coming up. We also have Houston Astros baseball. That'll be coming up. NBA conference finals and draft lottery. We're going to tackle that. But D to the low, good morning to you first and foremost. But we also got not one, not two, not three, but four great guests on tap today. What can the people expect to hear? Well, we're covering all our bases today. I mean, it's a Wednesday. Oh, it's the middle of the week. A big weekend coming up. So we're going to talk about some of the events taking place this weekend. First up, though, the PGA Championship starts tomorrow. Golf's second major. We talked a little bit about yesterday. And we'll have Chris Fusaro on. He works in hospitality management over with the PGA Championship. So he's been live on the grounds at Oak Hill. We'll get an idea. We're going to ask him how thick the rough is out there because we've been hearing rumors about it. We'll see. If someone who's over by the course can tell us about that, Ron Higgins will be next up at 7.30. That's going to be 7 o'clock for Chris. 7.30 will be Ron Higgins to tell us about that LSU baseball team and kind of a little bit of the struggles, but got a big win last night. Maybe exercise some demons, right, by uh, having a chance to have a meltdown but avoiding it. We'll get his opinion on that. Then at 8.02, Jay Walker, the voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. They've got a pretty big softball tournament coming up this weekend. And, by the way, a huge baseball series with some news that's going to shake up the Sunbelt Conference about a retirement of a specific coach, so we'll get his thoughts on that. And then at 8.32, Beth Tarina, also in that same regional tournament with the Cajuns, is the LSU Tigers. They're hosting it, and we'll talk to the head coach of the LSU softball team, get their perspective oh. on that uh, exciting regional tournament coming up. So, jam-packed edition of the show. Of course, even with all those guests, you know we'd love to hear from you, so if you want to chop it up with us, game hotline's open, as always. 337 That's 337-706-0111. But let's start off with LSU McNeese. Final midweek game for both teams. The Tigers gear up for a road trip at Ugga. McNeese 
makes the short trip back home for a three-game non-conference series against Miami of Ohio to wrap things up before their conference tournament. It started so well for LSU. Once again, we knew it was going to be pitching by committee yesterday for both coaches. They went ahead and kind of let everyone know that. Like, it's the final midweek game. This is all hands on deck. Guys are going to get run that typically don't get some time. And LSU took advantage, right? White is so good. I know I know they walked Dylan Cruz. I get it. Why would you throw pitches to Tommy White? <laughs> like, why? Just why? Like, I, I get it. Yeah. I get it. You got to pick your poison there. But uh, he makes you regret that in a lot of ways over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to pitch to somebody. I think it's, it's, uh, it's six one way, half a dozen the other. Oh, man, it's brutal. But... Starts off, White gets the double to center field. That brings in a run. Then, shout out to Travinsky wasn't even playing earlier this season. And they've used him off the bench, and all of a sudden, he's been a guy that has been a huge contributor for them for the last, like, three weeks. He steals home. He stole home. And then, Jobert scored on a ground out. So, through the first two innings... LSU's up 3-0. Looks like they're in cruise control. And Blake Money was on the mound. Needing to get him some confidence. Needing to get him some reps. And it started off well. And then came the third inning. Where he gave up five straight two-out singles. Which allowed McNeese to plate three runs and tie the game. Now they made the pitching change, but that's the frustrating thing for these guys out of the pen is that you see them pitch really well. And Blake was good early, and then all of a sudden it just disappears on them. Like that that's the thing. You 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 and I argued the other day about being capable. They're capable, but it feels like their capabilities are like an inning or two less than what you need them to be. That's what it feels like when you watch them pitch. Well, and look, I've been really hesitant for a lot of the criticism on Jay Johnson because I think the roster he's built in a short period of time has been impressive. Oh, but, oh and the way he's attacked the the transfer portal, right? Has but been very but good. I will say one thing, and, and he's and we're going to see. You know, he's going to really have to do to handle this. Is some of those pitching management decisions uh, about when to utilize the bullpen and and how to, and maybe in a situation now against McNeese, right, you want to get money some run. But uh, if that's a big game, maybe maybe he has to recognize early when a guy just doesn't have it anymore. And if that's, look, if that's come in, get two guys, and we got to go somewhere else, then that's what they'll have to do. But that's going to be an interesting thing for Jay Johnson to try to have to figure out how short does the leash have to be on certain guys heading into the postseason. Correct. And and that's where and that's where I think he has struggled because I think he leaves his guys out there a little too long, right? Just a little too long, and he's got to figure out what to do because last night, after Blake struggled and things went off the rails, all with two outs, it's just brutal, right? It, it, five straight two out singles to tie the game. They make the pitching change. They bring in uh, uh, Griffin Herring, and he pitched well for the most part. 
wasn't dominant, only had two strikeouts in three innings, but he did kind of stop the bleeding, right? He did give up one hit. That ended up being the sixth. All right, and they were able to score the run on the fielder's choice. And McNeese is now leading. But credit the rest of the bullpen for coming in and pitching pretty well. Sam Dudden came in, made things interesting. Gave up no runs. Only struck out one. Didn't walk any batters. That's where Griffin Herring got in trouble. He walked a couple. But Dudden had five hits in two innings. And you're like, uh. <laughs> He's just like, uh. But he got out of it. Gavin Gidry came in, gave you a good two-thirds of work, striking out two. And then they brought in Thatcher Hurd for a third of an inning. So once again, you saw Jay Johnson's approach, D'Lo, right? You saw him go, okay, guys, these are the guys that need run. You guys need work. You need reps. Let's go get it against McNeese. And some of them rose to the occasion, and some of them didn't. And we spent a lot of time talking about the bullpen. Can we talk about the fielding for a second again? Because we've been so focused on their bullpen being their Achilles heel. They are sloppy with the baseball, Dawson. This is not a good defensive baseball team. It's just not. They're not good. Four errors last night? Four? Like, eh. Once again, you can get away with that kind of stuff against McNeese. No offense to the Cowboys. And look, when you got the lineup that they have, what happened in the six? Beloso and Travinsky both homered. They tie up the game, then they take the lead. Then Dylan Cruz comes up big in the eighth. And Tommy White, who they keep pitching to, hit a fly ball that scored another run. But the last three weeks or so, man, I don't I, I don't know what's happened to the defense. I think there's some concern with Tommy White defensively. Um, and, that, and that's not just from last night that's I'm speaking more bigger picture there bigger picture the whole season you love what he brings with the bat but um eh. but I mean they're still middle of the pack defensively in the SEC I, I don't think it's something that's you know overly cause for concern but yeah I know look when that's that's something when you're pitching struggles at times you've got to be able to make a big play to help them out um and this team's done it at times um, a little bit inconsistent with it last night wasn't great but and we saw it over the weekend against Mississippi State yeah with Cooper who pitched okay good enough for them to get out of that jam and 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 the fielding behind them let them down and boom all of a sudden now they're trailing and when you've got dominant guys out of the bullpen you can give up an error with one out nobody on and it's not going to hurt you but yeah when when it gets when it gets to where you're really struggling to find out it's the errors get magnified and i think that's part of this and is and it is a big part of this right so it's what it's what happens early on. It's a combination of things. It's the relief pitching and the defense. And you're starting to see them be a little bit sloppier. Now, part of that is because they have a couple guys playing where they're at. I keep hearing more and more rumblings about, can they just put Trey Morgan back at first? Does that resolve some of your issues? He's good with the glove. 
but obviously you feel like you need him out and left. So I, I don't know. We'll see if Jay makes any type of adjustments there. And you can kind of try that out a little bit this weekend at Georgia and definitely for the SEC tournament. Or you just go, hey, these are my guys. We're going to roll with them. Right? And we're going to just absorb the fact that we're not a great defensive-minded team is what we'll do. But LSU gets the win. Probably a little bit more hard fought than they thought it was going to be as they rally to beat McNeese 7-4. to And the Tigers will now head to Uga at 40-12 and overall, 17-9 and in the SEC. And they'll head over to wrap up the regular season against those Bulldogs before they get ready for the SEC tournament. McNeese, once again, <coughs> they'll come back home for a three-game set against Miami of Ohio, which begins today. Yeah, no, I just wanted to throw that in there because we talked to Jim Gazzolo yesterday about McNeese. They're in like a an all-time weird situation. Oh, it's bizarre. Um, where, you know, yeah, and I mean, look, bye, ha- bye weeks happen in conferences that are unbalanced. That's not what's crazy about it. But for it to be on the last week of the season, for them to then play, I, I don't, you know, again, I don't know how much of the schedule kind of had to get shifted around because I don't think they would have preferred to be playing LSU in a midweek game in a week like this. So then they're going to start the series today. You don't know what's going to happen with the standings, and that's that's the interesting thing, especially with the way the format is, where they might have to play in that playing game. like On Tuesday. Yeah. So yeah, like he said, you have to pitch with the idea that you have to play on Tuesday, but you don't know if you're going to have to play. So then you might pitch a certain way and then not have to play. So really difficult for uh, for Justin Hill and his ball club to kind of manage this week. I think I don't know if they're going to be super focused on results. I think they're just going to be trying to get through the week and, and kind of have things rolling in the right direction for the tournament. I would 100% agree with your statement there. I, I don't think look, you want to win the series because you'd like to have that going into conference tournament play you don't want to go in there you know having lost the previous weekend series against northwestern state then losing a midweek game and then lose a series of miami of ohio that's not what you want uh, you want to have your guys feel good about themselves heading into the conference tournament but on the same hand they have to wait for other results to figure out where they are they could play tuesday or they could play wednesday it's more about getting the team right than it is winning the series right for mcneese that's what it, I think it boils down to for them. LSU, I think after losing back-to-back SEC series, Georgia's not a great program right now, but I think they would really like to go into Athens and get two of three heading into the SEC tournament, kind of get some of that mojo back a little bit. We got to take a timeout. Coming up here on RP3 and Company, we're just getting started. We told you it was going to be a jam-packed edition of the show. We don't lie. Dawson's not a liar. He's not a fibber. Neither am I. Houston Astros. They've already won their series, Dawson, by taking game two of their three-game set against the Chicago Cubbies. We'll talk about it for you next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Chaz McCormick, he's just making a habit of making unbelievable catches. Did so in the World Series, did so again last night. The bat's not consistent, right? You'd like him to be a better hitter. You'd like your starting center fielder to be a better all-around hitter, but that guy has a knack when it comes to unbelievable catches, and he did so again last night as the Astros took game two in their series against the team from the north side of Chicago. Those lovable losers, the Chicago Cubs. And with last night's 7-3 win, Astros have already locked up the series. Took the first two games. Last night, Christian Javier was good. He improves to 4-1 and one on the season. He gave the Strohs six strong innings, giving up only one earned run on two hits while striking out five. And the one run, of course, came courtesy of a home run there in the second. And he did a nice job. And guess what? Yoran Alvarez, he's really good at driving in runs. Yeah, it, it's he's it, just it's just so effortless for him. Watching him bat is just like it just seems to be so easy for him. Up, oh, got runners in scoring position. Not to worry, the big fella is going to take care of that. He's going to bring him home. You feel that way every single time he comes up to the plate. That he's going to bring him in. Alvarez goes two for four last night with two ribbies. Dubon went two for four, scored two runs last night. And McCormick, who doesn't always deliver with his bat, guess what? He did so last night. Two for four with an RBI. As the Strohs pick up the win. And it starts off... In such a great way for the Strohs, as Dubon scores on a wild pitch. Like, that's how the game started. Jordan Alvarez, do you know how many RBIs he's on pace for? 200. 150. <laughs> I wasn't too far off. He's on pace for 150 RBIs in a major league season, and we're, 40, we're 42 games into it. It's not like it's, you know, week two where you're talking about projected homers. He does his job. And the, the great thing about Alvarez is he doesn't have to hit the long ball to drive in the runs, right? He's not one of those guys that's just a strictly a home run hitter. He gets a lot of doubles. And after Dubon scores on the wild pitch in the bottom of the first, Garcia gives up the... gives up the... Uh, Javier, rather, gives up the home run to tie the ball game. Well... In the bottom of the fourth, 
Alvarez's doubles to center to score Alex Bregman. Then Tucker doubles to left to score Alvarez. And then Jolks doubles to center to score Tucker. And then McCormick doubles to score Jolks. It was a double party in the fourth inning. Four doubles. And all of a sudden, a game that was tied becomes a 5-1. I am struggling with formulating thoughts into words to come out of my mouth this morning. 5-1 advantage. Bregman gets a sack fly in the seventh to pad their lead to 6-1, to one, and then Alvarez gets another single to make it 7-1. to one. Now, we praise the Astros' bullpen for being magnificent, and then Gage comes in last night and has a couple innings he'd like to forget. In particular, the final inning. Two-run blast, three hits, but he did strike out three. But they were able to absorb it to still win the game 7-3. to three. You look at this lineup, and Altuve is going to be coming back. We see him doing his rehab assignments now. And hopefully we won't have some type of weird situation where all of a sudden, while he's warming up one day, he disappears, and then we don't hear from him again. Looking for Michael Brantley. But Dubon, Alvarez, if you can get Tucker going again, last night was a good start, but if you could get him up and running and going, obviously you'd like Abreu to do a little bit better. He was, man, 0 for 3 last night, struck out twice. They brought in Hensley for him. Like, so... We're going to start probably seeing more of this with Dusty being like, okay, you don't got it tonight, kid. I, I got to bring somebody else. Or maybe move him around the, the, the order. They got to figure out a bray you somehow. Like either bring in someone to pinch or put him down further in the lineup. And sometimes that works. Sometimes you move a guy around and it works. I'd like to see Jeremy Pena be a little bit better, but. I think we're getting very close. Not quite there. Probably all-star break. That Jeremy Pena may just be a 250 hitter. Like, that may be, this may be who he is, right? And he had the great postseason run last year, Dawson, but, and he was great. But maybe what his skill set actually is, is that he's going to bat around 250, 255 for you. Yeah, no, that, I've said that for a while, and I think that's that—that that is who he is. Um, the, the, the glove work is nasty. And that's okay. Yeah, no, I think he's still a plus player overall, and I right, think he he hits for a productive two fifty too, so that that helps things. There's a difference. He's not as what fans wanted him to be. You wanted him. A lot of Astros fans were hoping that he would be Carlos Correa. He's not Carlos. Now he's struggling in Minnesota, but what Carlos was for the Astros, right? That's not. I don't believe that's going to be Jeremy Pena's game. But he can be a productive towards the bottom of the lineup hitter. Hit around 250, 255. Maybe you get him to be 260. That would be that'd be just fine. And how about your man Maldonado? Scored a run last night, struck out twice, 0 for three at the plate, but still scored a run. 
Still scored a run because he drew a walk. Bad 177. But he's a great defensive catcher. Great defensive catcher. Astros have now taken two or three from old Chicago. The Cubbies, eh, they're a little bit on the struggle bus right now. Game three of this series will be tonight. And, of course, you can hear it live right here on our sister station, News Talk 98.5 FM. Or, hold on. D'Lo is... That's on the game. That is on the game. Because uh, it's a late first pitch. That's right. It's yeah. not going to be until 7-10. So we'll have the McNeese coaches show from 6 to 7. And then right afterwards, we'll go to Astro launch pregame and then have first pitch for you. We've had some weird Wednesdays around here lately. So they'll go for the series sweep tonight against the Cubs. It's May 17th. I just want to remind folks. Astros are only three games behind the Rangers. I know our buddy Brett Chancey says that he expects the Rangers to, to fold. And they may do that. But you and I had a discussion about the Rangers, and we thought that the AL West was going to be far tougher than people thought. And I think that's what you're seeing here. The, the teams aren't just going to roll over for the Astros this year. So I think the Rangers are going to be pretty good for most of the season. I think the Angels are going to be better than people think. I, I, I still don't know what's wrong with Seattle. That's I thought they would be better. Is it the SI cover jinx? Oakland got the 10 wins last night. So watch Oakland, yeah, let's give it up. Let's give it up to Oaktown. Future Las Vegas. And uh, by the way, I, Kevin Foote yesterday was having a meltdown about how much he didn't want to play Oakland if they only had nine wins. So I guess now he can sleep tonight. Um, this is Astros. will start a series with Oakland over the weekend. Um, just, just the complexes that that man's brain works with just baffled me. But he can rest assured they have 10 wins now. No one is better at creating daunting challenges for his teams better than Kevin. Just fabricates it out of his own brain. Well, you know, Cat, you never want to face a team that only has nine wins because the Piper is going to, you know, they got to pay the Piper. You got to pay the Piper for him. <laughs> or, or whatever the logic is. I'm not for sure. The man is, the man is a treasure. So Astros, big winners. Last night, NBA playoffs resumed as the Western Conference Finals tipped off. I got some thoughts about game one. Jokic was amazing. But the Lakers showed some fight late, and their body language afterwards suggested that they think that they're in this series, which I found to be immensely interesting. Also, lottery. Spurs get the top pick. Pelicans, 14. D'Lo and I will discuss it both next, right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. NBA Western Conference Finals began last night and behind 
Jokic's triple-double of 34-21-14. That's a stat line. <laughs> Nuggets win game one. 132 to 126. I have some thoughts here. Magnificent performance by him. Just just magnificent. And everything about it. And, and the cherry on top is the three he shot over Anthony Davis right before the buzzer. And the look, the little side, you know, side head look to him. And AD just looked at him and was like, ah, you got me. It was a magnificent performance. 12 of 17 from the field. He played 42 minutes in this game. He played like a guy who's the best player on the court. And the great advantage Denver has is they have other guys that help. Murray chips in 31 points. They get 21 from Caldwell Pope. They get 15 from Michael Porter Jr. And they get 12 from Gordon. And they get Brown to come off the bench and give him 16. Eight-man rotation, Dawson. Magnificent triple-double performance. All five starters scored in double figures. But here's the thing that stands out to me. They needed every one of those buckets. Because the Lakers didn't go away. Like, that's the thing that stands out to me is that you had a guy give you 34, 21, and 14. You had all five of your starters scoring double figures and a guy come off the bench and give you 16. And you needed it because the Lakers gave you everything they could handle. And they didn't go away late. And they fought back against you at your place. It's impressive. I know it's a loss, and I still like Denver to win this series, but Denver came out and played its best possible offensive game, and it was barely enough. I went, well, yeah, that's one way to look at it. On the other end, though, Denver's in cruise control until there's five minutes left. The Lakers make a run, and Denver counters it. So, like, I think that's the other well, way Well, it's this. not fair. L.A. outscored them in the third. They weren't in cruise control in the third. Right, but, the, I mean, it was never threatened until the last five, four or five minutes of the game is my point there. I, I just yeah. think I think Denver, yeah, they played that well offensively, but they're kind of that team offensively. And the other thing that's interesting is Lakers have had a free throw advantage every game they've played in the postseason, essentially. They had one again last night, but it wasn't nearly as significant. Denver kind of matched their physicality, maybe on the offensive mm-hmm. end. I still don't know if Denver has much on defense, but I think another way you can look at this, if you're if you're the Nuggets, if you want to be positive about it, is you gave up. Anthony Davis had forty. Uh, LeBron had a good night. They hit all their free throws, both he and LeBron, and you still overcame that. Won the game. Austin Reeves hit a bunch of threes. Lakers shot over forty percent from beyond the arc. Yeah, and you still won the game. But again. You're going to see the Lakers do a lot offensively in this series because Denver struggles defensively. So this is going to be... I it's think, going to be a series. I think. Well, and I think most of the games are going to kind of look like last night's game in, mm-hmm. in some way, shape, or form. Now, maybe there's a night where one team or the other has a cold shooting night, and that might be a blowout in the other direction because both teams are going to struggle defensively. Correct. And that was my big takeaway. And, and look, it... it it became close in the last five minutes. Well, basketball is a game of runs, and we've seen leads evaporate in a heartbeat. 
I liked what I saw out of the Lakers showing fight because there's been times during this postseason where they're like, well, they'll concede the game, right? We've talked about it on the air. They didn't concede the game last night. So I think for them, fighting like they did at the end is something that could be a stepping stone, a motivating factor for them for the rest of the series because they obviously wanted to win the game. Now, they got to figure out how not to get punched in the mouth like they did in the first quarter. Because if they're going to let Denver come out and punch them in the mouth right off the bat, this is going to be a short series. I'm, I'm just being real. Like, you can get away with that in game one and try to establish yourself. And you're like, okay, this is what we're going to have to expect to see. This is how we're going to have to deal with them. And you make the adjustments. And L.A. made good second-half adjustments last night. But if they come out and continue to let them punch them in the mouth right off the bat, it's going to be a short series. Like, if you're L.A., you can't do that. You just can't. Because Denver's too good offensively. They're just too good offensively. And they're so balanced. And you're right. Anthony Davis gave them, was very good last night. He was 11-11 from the free throw line as well. LeBron had a double-double. You got 23 points from Reeves with the five three-pointers coming off the bench. It would be nice for L.A. if you could get D'Angelo Russell to give you something offensively. But this, I think, is going to be a dogfight series. I really do. I think this is going to be a physical, chippy series. I think it's going to go at least six games. Unless, the big caveat for me is unless L.A. can't figure out how not to get bullied in the first quarter. Because you can't set the tone that way. Because Denver's too good offensively. You've got to figure out a way to play a little bit better defense early on and make them work for it and not get pushed around as much as they did last night. How about Brian Windhorst live from France last night for a <laughs> 72nd interview with Victor Wimbayana? Oh, that was not a waste of time. Um, Here's the other thing. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one who thinks this. I think, is it strange that they're already like, that he's already a spur in the minds of, of of not just I know he's going to get picked by them correct, but the way that they're that Brent, Brian Winhard literally asked him it well what's it like now that you're going to go to San Antonio well, how are you going how you feel about going to San Antonio you're you're a spur now how do you feel when it's like at least in the NFL even though we know the guy's getting taken they still go oh the NBA is a different beast well but it with Zion even when the Pelicans got the first pick they still played the well well maybe they'll go with Jack yeah, and I guess there's no clear number Santa, 2 yeah. here yeah, there, there's not a clear number 2 yeah. this year um and look we know what San Antonio likes to do David Robinson and Tim Duncan right so th- th- this is what they And like I'm not to suggesting do. that they're not I just thought it was funny to hear like the official right. news outlets right. saying you're a spur how does it feel when it's like well he didn't get drafted last night he just they earned the right to select who they want to select he's going to go I love his game. I've watched I've watched footage of him play. I love his game. I'd love him to be a little bit have put a little bit more muscle on, which I think they'll probably do in San Antonio. He's phenomenal. Make no bones about it. The Spurs aren't any good, right? So. They were able to build around David Robinson back in the day because they had Sean Elliott and some others. And then towards the tail end of the Admiral's career, they brought in Tim Duncan. 
there's no one right now for for that that's on that level, right? There there's no guy that they have. So this young man from France could be a generational talent. But can we can I rant about that just for a second? Can you can you can you let the old man rant just for a second about something? He has the potential to be very special. He has the potential to be a generational talent. Can we stop talking about guys as generational talents before they actually step onto the court in the NBA? Can we can can we just can we just pause? It all started with LeBron, but I'm old enough to remember that. Hey, this guy's got potential. The, the way things were phrased. Well, this guy could be really good. This guy's got a lot of potential. They didn't even talk about Jordan that way. And then, because you had to earn it. You had to earn the moniker. You had to earn the title of generational talent. We hear it every year. Like, every draft, well, this is a generational talent. This is a generational player. They don't even say talent. They say generational player. Can I watch him play first? Is is, is that too much to ask? Is, is the old man asking for too much, Dawson? Just to see the um, well, young you're not man gonna, play. You're not going to get it. I'm not um, going to get it. Well, I and I and I will say I do think that's an overused moniker, and it gets worn out a little bit. But I will also say, uh, Wimbanyana is a little different. You don't see seven foot six guys with handles and a jump shot, and 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 again, he has been called the greatest prospect since LeBron James. You don't hear that every year. Um, you've heard it a couple of times here and there, maybe when it shouldn't have been said. But I mean, he he but is you, an absolute physical. But you hear generational player with Porzingis, and it didn't work out. You hear the term unicorn used on, yeah, on these yeah, guys. I don't think, but I right. don't think it was ever. I don't think the Porzingis talk too was to this extent because I don't think anybody has had this level of uh, of, of hype coming out. I mean, like it's it's a different. I think I do think I, I like I'm agreeing with you and disagreeing with you because. I think well, with well that's what you typically do different. every day because that, that's that, that's that's what you like to do. That's part yeah, of our well, dynamic, right? You, you, but I just think yeah. with with Wimbanyana, there's there's um I don't know if it's being overstated is is my point there. And like now, look, can he at least not play mean, games? Yeah, no, I, like, I I I agree. I'm just saying, Zion's a generational talent allegedly. Right, he doesn't play, and that's why I'm that's why I'll add the caveat that that doesn't mean Wimbanyana is going to be a great NBA player. Correct, but. He is physically and is done doing things both over in France and what we've seen from him as a prospect that we haven't seen before. That is a fact. Can we just say generational talent? Yeah, no, I think that's a good phrase. That that's wouldn't phrase bother me. Just say generational talent. Instead yeah. of just saying generational player, say talents. It's just words matter. Words matter. Do I think he's going to be really, really good? Yeah, I do. I do. I've watched it. He has a... a Unique skill set. And when I watch him play, I go, hey, wait, he's going to be special. He's going to be special. But you never do know. As much as we like to stroke our own ego and believe we know uncertainties, because that's what we love to do when in the world of sports, well, this is going to happen and this is not going to happen. This guy's going to be greater. This guy's going to be a bust. We love saying, we love talking uncertainties making bold proclamations, and we love to be the first one to do it. We will literally step over our own mother to get there to do it. Can we just ease up here and just go, just use better words, generational talents, and let's see him actually play a couple seasons in the NBA. And then we can say, hey, this guy is a generational player. Because you can only have so many generational players, by the way. 
I also like to point out, <laughs> you can only have so many generational players yeah, that, in an actual in generation. Fact, right, right. That uh, in facts. Well, yeah. Once again, factual. The facts there. Oh, oh, there's 10 generational players. Really? And all in the same generation? Well, yeah. uh, they're not really all generational players then, are they? Thank you for allowing the old man to rant a little bit. Got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll unveil the poll question of the day, which is the foodie poll question of the week. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. Looks like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter. Isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, it's Wednesday which means our poll question of the day is our foodie question of the week. And that's a good one. What's your favorite type of crackling? Ha <laughs> ha, yes! You go with the traditional pork? That's always the go-to. That's the staple. But man, when chicken cracklings became a thing, ooh, that was a game changer for your boy. Now, I can't have them, obviously. <laughs> Not right now. Because that's something I can't have in moderation. People go... Hey, man, you can still have some of that stuff that you like that's not great for you. But just have it in moderation. I go, yeah, but the problem is I can't do that. <laughs> like, if you say, hey, here's some cracklings, I'm going to say, thank you. Can I have the entire bag? <laughs> so I'll, I love the chicken cracklings. But also, have you had the duck cracklings? Ooh. Ooh, those are good, too. So what's your favorite type of crackling? Is it the traditional pork? Is it chicken? Is it duck? Or is it all of them? Right now, 80% of you say pork. 12% say chicken. No votes for duck. 8% say all of them. JPK, the OD, says, there's nothing like a well-done traditional pork crackling, but I have, I had to give them up. My heart and body were going down a bad path, and he shared a gift. <laughs> oh, man. Ralph said it would be pork, but high cholesterol and four stents have made them a no-no. And even if I could have them, the price is ridiculous. Growing up, you could get a big bag for 25 cents. P.S. It's okay to dust your cracklings. <laughs> They've become a very popular thing. Steve says, the last thing I think of when I wake up is, man, I can't wait to eat fat that is fried in grease that costs more than steak. <laughs> Uh, John Paul Cajun Daddy says, I can't believe I've never thought of it that way. I mean, I, we all know what it is, but normally more expensive than choice cut ribeye steak. And you're right. It is skin and fried in fat. Still, it's so good. Right. Right. It's, it's something that's definitely not good. Richie says pork. Everything on a pig is delicious. Do you have a go-to crackling, D-Lo? No, I'll, I'll make a confession. I haven't nearly had enough uh, different types or anything like that. I've had a couple of crackling here and there, but not. I've never had anything off the off the regular traditional pork path, so I, I probably need to get on that pretty soon, though. You're in Acadiana now. We're going to take care of that for you. I mean, I've been in, been in Acadiana <laughs> for some time. 
But um, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll take care of that. Trust me. There's not a there's yeah. not a, a shortage of cracklins here in Southwest Louisiana. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Keep leaving your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Hour one in the books. Hour number two coming up right here on the game. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Hour number one. Has come and gone here on RP3 and Company. Hour number two is upon us. We covered some topics in that first hour, didn't we? Bud, we went through LSU baseball, yep. finding a way to beat McNeese in their final midweek games for both teams. Blake Money was good until he wasn't, which has been kind of the story of yeah, LSU's bit. bullpen all season. They show some flash until all of a sudden they don't. We jumped into that. We talked about the Houston Astros getting a win against the Chicago Cubs. Christian Javier was very good on the bump. And then, of course, we also tackled NBA playoffs, Western Conference Finals tipped off, and the lottery. And how you think Victor Wimbanyana is terrible. I you think did that they not shouldn't say draft that. Them. No, just kidding. You, you uh, a little conversation there about <laughs> kind of the uh, the overhyping of young players. And, I mean, the one thing we didn't hint on, but I'll just mention here, maybe puts a little too much pressure on guys, which, again, like, you know, when you're a phenom like that, it's going to happen. But Words matter. Right. Just say, you know, let's call him a generational talent. Can we just wait to see him play, like, a season or two in the NBA? That's all I'm saying. Yeah. And this all no, began fair. with LeBron James back in high school. Like that's when it's it, it it all started to change, and he's a guy who who found a way to live up to all that. Really, I mean, twenty years, man. He's it's played impressive. twenty years, yeah, and it's, he, it's phenomenal. He's at on the level display he's once again in uh and you know basketball's conference finals. So coming up from twenty five minutes from right now, we're going to talk to Ron Higgins and get a little bit more perspective on that LSU baseball team as they gear up for the stretch run here. They've had some struggles as of late. Started to see some uh, chinks in the armor, so to speak, and how can they kind of uh, kind of rebound heading forward into the conference tournament and then, of course, beyond that into regional play. So we'll get his thoughts on that. But it is PGA Championship Week. It's golf's second major of the year. There is a lot of interesting storylines heading into this uh, particular iteration of the championship. And we wanted to get a little bit more perspective from somebody who is on the ground. So we're going to talk now to Chris Vissaro, who is with Hospitality Services at the PGA Championship. He's been at Oak Hill all week. And so I'll welcome him onto the show now. Chris, how is it going? What's going on, Dawson? Uh, Raymond, it's a little cold one here in uh, Rochester. But uh, we're getting through it. We're getting through it, guys. Hey, before we dive into the PGA Championship, um, can you do me a favor, Chris? Yes, sir. Okay. Can you send some sort of email or text message or or maybe a, a DM to the Atlanta Braves and let them know that getting swept and losing games uh, to American League teams is really just not acceptable. Can you can you make that happen? I can make that happen. I can also petition Major League Baseball to never let the Atlanta Braves play in Toronto ever again. <laughs> uh, 
I, I think that's a good outcome for us all, and probably for the Blue Jays, too. Just kidding. But, um, yeah, that was that was miserable. I haven't been able to watch much baseball this week. but uh, That's a good thing. Yeah. That's a good it's, thing for you. Trust me on this. <laughs> I did not have to watch uh, an abysmal pitching performance by the Atlanta Braves last night. So, Well, with that being said, Chris, you mentioned you didn't get to watch a lot of baseball. That's because you've been pretty busy over there at Oak Hill. Um, first off, I want to start with this. Everybody likes to talk about the rough and how they're choosing to cut it. It's a little U.S. Open style situation where we're getting pictures of balls embedded and nobody knows how anybody's going to chip around the greens and stuff like that. Uh, what is your opinion on it, and what have you seen so far since you've been over there? So the the rough is definitely thick. The ball is sitting down a ton. It's this you know very sticky rough. Um, I think the players are going to kind of find that the ball is really going to sit. They're not going to find many good lies in this rough. It really reminds me of the 2019 PGA at Beth Face Black, um, where Brooks Koepka kind of ran away with it. Um, so I could kind of see the same storyline here where there's a few guys under par. There's a lot of guys with some really, really high scores around the golf course. But I think it's one of those golf courses where 10 or so guys can see a different golf course and the rest could be over par. Well, part of that, too, and, and kind of the, the emphasis there's been put on driving distance and how these guys are able to just bomb it down the fairways. And so I guess kind of a counter to that is the rough uh, do you like when they challenge players in that way, or do you think there should be uh, a little bit more emphasis on you know course layout, trying to challenge guys? What, what's your opinion on that? So Oak Hill just kind of underwent a very big restoration, trying to bring it back to its original Donald Ross design and routing. Um, and so some original holes that were taken out are now back. Um, so I think the character is in this golf course a lot more than um, – other golf courses where they try to overgrow the rough. So I think there's a natural test in the layout uh, of this Ross design, but I really think that the rough plays a natural challenge. I think it fits in the course though. And it's not just a, uh, just an obstacle that um, the course and the maintenance staff are trying to overgrow just to, just to get some high scores out there. You know, Chris, you mentioned it, how they kind of done the big renovation project there. They added some back tees, brought back some holes, removed a lot of trees to increase the length on on this, uh, on the course. That being said, whose game, if you will, is suited for this now kind of revamped course design here at, um, <clears throat> here at Oak Hill? I, I see it as a fairways and greens golf course. If you, if you have guys that will hit fairways, hit it, you know, above average, not necessarily a bomber's paradise, as uh, some people may have thought coming in. It's really cold this week. There's going to be a ton of wind, so I don't think anybody's going to really outpace the field in terms of driving distance. But I think if you hit fairways, you hit greens, you two-putt, you get out of there, you make a lot of pars, you make birdies when opportunities come across. You know, I think as long as you avoid the rough, there's the rough around the greens is honestly – thicker than in the fairways in my opinion the ball sits down more there's a lot of awkward downhill lies a lot of blind bunker shots around the greens too so i think if you hit greens it really plays plays a good i don't know a good role um so i think someone like scotty scheffler has got to be one of the obvious picks right john ron's got to be an obvious pick jordan spieth coming for the 
career grand slam with a wrist injury probably would have been a popular pick this week anyways. Um, I don't think that's going to happen from this week. Justin Thomas, the defending champion, all guys who have played really well at PGAs. I'm going to pick Max Homa, kind of an off-the-wall pick based off a of recent play. Um, I liken it to Justin Thomas last year, winning at Southern Hills in Tulsa. Not very good form coming in, but seems like a golf course that fits his game. Max Homa looking for his first major championship. Has not played well uh, since the West Coast swing on the PGA Tour in February. I like where his game's at right now. It's very mightily trending. He's not the best putter in the world, but he hits fairways and he hits greens. I think that's going to be the role this week that it plays. Chris, I want to ask you about two guys that I'm going to keep an eye on. Uh, Tony Finau has, in a lot of ways, had a career resurgence here. He's won four times since late July. Now, a lot of those aren't the premier tournaments, the premier events, and he's never won a major, but the PGA Championship is sometimes that kind of major for guys to break through and finally win. So I'm keeping an eye on see if Tony can rise to the occasion and, and win his first major. And the other one is a guy that hasn't won a major in quite a while, but is very much the face of golf, or at least the face of the PGA Tour, and that's Roy McIlroy. What do you think about those two for this weekend? So I really like Tony Finau's game coming in here. He's played well lately. Like you said, four wins since last summer. I think the piggyback of Tony's career was he couldn't win. He was always in contention, but he couldn't close the deal, even at you know lower to mid-tier tour events. So I think he kind of has that monkey off his back. He's playing well. I think he'll drive it straight enough here to stay in the ball game long enough. That's probably where my biggest issue is with his game. He's a really good putter as of late, too. His short game has improved a ton. So I could see Finau contending this week. I think Rory McIlroy's biggest focus is getting back to golf. He took some time off after the Masters, after missing the cut. Uh, didn't play at the designated event at the RBC Heritage the following week after the Masters. Um, he's not really commenting on the list stuff anymore versus the PGA Tour. I think that's a big factor. And getting back to golf, Rory played really good golf last year. Um, hasn't really translated this year thus far. He has a win in the wraparound season in the fall. Um so I think Rory could contend if he's in the right headspace. His game, his game can play anywhere. Um, I think Rory's one of the best in the world for a reason and, and a generational talent. But he hasn't won a major in nine years, and that's going to constantly follow him. He can win you know, FedEx Cup after FedEx Cup and tour championships and all these premier events, but the majors is what really matters in your career. And I think Rory puts a lot of pressure on himself. Well, Chris, the PGA Championship's got a couple of unique aspects that kind of separate it from the other majors, and one of those is the aspect where you'll have PGA professionals taking place. The uh, PGA Professional Championship took place a couple weeks ago. You have 20 uh, golfers that will be represented there. Some of these guys, you know, have just kind of your normal golf professional day jobs where they're keeping up the course and talking to members and things like that. Some of them um, have a little bit more serious golf careers on the side, but uh, how cool is that to see those guys out there this week? And, you know, do you think that uh, we'll see any of them maybe contend, make the cut or anything like that? Or is it more just happy to be there? Yeah, so the Corbridge Financial PGA 20 team, like you said, consists of just regular PGA professionals from golf courses around the country. And they competed in New Mexico for the PGA Professional Championship a few weeks ago. So um, it's it's a really cool concept. The PGA is the only major that doesn't have amateurs. Um, and so these PGA professionals are the amateurs. 
Um, so I would really hope to see if he makes a cut. It's it's a good storyline to have those guys around because it really represents the the hard work in the golf industry and the the non glamorous life. But for those guys to get out here for a week, you know, have a have a family member on the caddy bag with them, you know, a buddy whatnot, uh, get the PGA Tour staff bag for the week. I saw a few guys with a nice and great Titleist bag the other day. Um, it's it's a cool experience for them. I think it's you know it's the PGA of America giving back to those guys that are uh, they're hardworking in their local communities too. And lastly, Chris, we'll get get you out of here with this one. Uh, just overall with the event this week, a lot of different guys that we've already mentioned in contention. But um, when it comes Sunday and we're crowning a, a PGA champion, uh, what do you think that player is going to have done? And and what do you think uh, of the overall event and and what we're going to see this weekend? Yeah, so it's the the new holes is probably my my biggest thing that I'm looking forward to. Yeah, the stretch of five, six, which are new holes on the front side into seven and eight are supposedly the toughest ones out here. I saw them with my own eyes and uh, was kind of blown away. And then back here on the back, fourteen is a drivable par four up the hill, and then fifteen is a short a hundred. It could probably play a hundred thirty yards at the shortest back to about one fifty five at the very back tees. Um, so. Those stretch of holes, uh, making pars on the really, really tough holes on the front, and then getting the back and making scoring opportunities worthwhile for yourself. The winner is going to be under par, but how under par will we see that? I could see five to seven under as a winning score. I don't think double digits will happen out here with the cold weather with the wind. I don't think the ball is going to travel that far. It's a really long golf course. We're playing, playing at 7,400 yards this week. Um, even for those guys, there's there's a lot of strategy involved out here that's going to leave them with a lot of long irons into par fours. So making pars on those tough holes on the 500-yard par fours, making birdies on the par fives, um, just being really inopportune and avoiding the big number. I saw um, a player chunk a few shots out of the rough yesterday, and it looked like you know, Dawson and I out there playing golf together. So, um, uh yeah, so we'll we'll see. I think it's like I said, it's a fairways and greens type of golf course. You keep it out of the rough. You stay straight off the tee. The winner probably will lead the field in driving accuracy, if not being the top five. That's that's a safe safe bet, in my opinion. I, I like how you made fun of you and Dawson's golf game, Chris. Let me tell you. And next time you're in our neck of the woods, uh, um, <laughs> let me treat you to a round of golf and i assure you once we're wrapped up with that round that's going to take us about five hours you are going to feel so much better about your golf game because you're going to be like thank god i'm not like rp3 oh man i uh luckily luckily i'm not on the course this week at oak hill because i would make a mess of it let me tell you that raymond <laughs> hey bud make sure to send that text message or a standard mail letter or a dm or maybe an old-fashioned 1-800 number phone call to our bravos and uh, let's get that turned around okay yes sir i uh i i think the uh the momentum's coming we're getting some positive vibes heading here into late may let's try not to lose any more starting pitchers i think we'll be all right uh and i still hate the blue jays from the early 90s thank you and bud. i still hate the blue jays from right now <laughs> <laughs> This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts. 
that talk like they know everything. But you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Great stuff there with Chris about the PGA Championship. I'm going to give you another name to look out for because I really like Tony, but he made a great point. Finau struggles with the driver hitting fairways, right? That's going to play a role. And I think that's why he struggled in majors from time to time because the way they design them, you have to be a very accurate driver. Of the Specifically, ball. the U.S. Open and, and now a year like this, PGA with the, the PGA is trying to make it more feel like more like a U.S. Open. Yes, I know he had a terrible Sunday in Augusta. Brooks Kepka, just that's a guy that I just it's a guy to look out for. He had some shiny shoes. Yeah, over uh, at the uh, what was I, I guess he was headed to the PGA Champions Dinner or something like that. I don't know. Yes. they were they were nice. Um, yeah, another guy, too, I'll just throw out while we're throwing names. Didn't want to make the segment about me, so I didn't ask Chris, but my guy Ricky Fowler's back in the top 50 of the World Golf Rankings. That's, that's your man. He's going to play with Cantlay and Phil Mickelson. What a threesome that Ooh, is. Huh? That's going to be Ricky some... Fowler, Patrick Cantlay, and Phil Mickelson. That's going to be interesting to watch. That's going to be some awkwardness on the course <laughs> with that trio. Ooh. You know, and what was funny, you know what's so great about that? Of all the guys that jumped to the Live Tour, so many people thought Ricky was going to be one of those guys. Because his game, he kind of lost his game a little bit. And he's a great you know, marketing genius. But he stayed loyal to the PGA Tour. And I know Liv came after him, but he stayed. And the short-term rewards have been pretty nice. I mean, he's having a great season. He, again, he got himself, he was all the way down in, the I think, the 100s, the low oh. 100s in World Golf Ranking. He's now back into the top 50. He was a little lost. He was a little lost. What you need to uh, qualify for these majors. So he, he missed a couple of majors, missed the Masters, but now he's back. He's Could back we, you know, look, I'd love to see Ricky break through. Once again, one of those yeah. guys, he, he, he held the moniker for a while. And, and, you know, we've had guys hold that moniker of, the best not to win a major. Lee Westwood was that guy for a while. Ricky Fowler's been that guy. But, yeah. you know, we have a week after Tony Finau's now kind of a little bit that guy. I've always liked Tony. Last week we had Jason Day finally win a golf tournament for the first time in a long time. Could we have another great, like, redemption story here at the PGA Championship? I'd love that. I'd love that. And I'd love to see Ricky win it. Because I think Ricky got bashed because, you know, he wore colorful shirts. I'm like, Simmer down. <laughs> like, seriously. Simmer down. Honestly. Hey, we haven't had a chance to talk about it, but our guy, Dustin the Diamond Poirier, is going to be fighting later next month at the big-time UFC bout 291. It's going to be in Salt Lake City, the Lafayette native. The man who has a key to the city, by the way. One of Lafayette's favorite sons, who worked his way up the ranks to be a champion the hard way. Didn't come easy. This is a cat that was fighting down inside like rodeo arenas in New Iberia back in the day. Okay. 
he, Dustin, worked his way up. But we get Poirier, Gaethje, number two. That is going to be the headlining fight for the vacant BMF title at UFC 291 in Salt Lake City. The Diamond will get another opportunity to hoist the belt. The pay-per-view event will occur at the Delta Center on Saturday, July 29th. The title, of course, was created by Dana White for a match between Nate Diaz and Masvidal. But now he's retired, so now the title will return to the octagon with this fight. It's a great opportunity for the Lafayette native. You can read more about it, obviously, on our website, 1037thegame.com, 1041thegame.com. And this is the second time they've battled. Poirier, of course, knocked out his opponent just 33 seconds into the fourth round back in 2018 in a UFC fight night event. Now the two lightweight contenders will battle again for the BMF title in Salt Lake City. So great news for the Diamond. We wish him nothing but the best. Always love rooting for him. Let's head out to the game hotline. Welcome on Reynold to the show. Reynold, good morning, brother. Hope you're being safe out there. How's it going, bud? What's on your mind? Beautiful, lovely day, man. God is good. God is good, my friend. You're right about that, brother. Oh, uh, you know, you brought up a, a subject about the, the golf uh, golf tour and the live. I want to get your take on that. What do you think about the live tour? Because uh, last week they had both the PGA and the live tour, and they've had them in the past. And I gravitate more towards the live tour. I love the graphics. I love the relaxedness of it, um, and their slogan is golf but loud. I really like the Live Tour. I think it's, the golf is just as good as a PGA, just not as uptight. The only thing that makes me scratch my head is that normally in golf, golfers get pissed off whenever people are talking while they're swinging, and they have music blaring in the background at the Live Tour, which I don't understand, so... I want to see what y'all think about it. Will do, brother. Thank you for the phone call. I have no problems with the the live tour. I know a lot of people do. Okay, and we can go down that rabbit hole about the you know it's a it's a way of you know for blood money for you know a government power. And and my reply is always the PGA tour has had a long-standing relationship uh, financially and with events in China, which has human rights violations all the time, too. Okay? So we're, we're not going to take the morality police stance here. It's just not. I've not commented on that, and nor will I. Okay? Because, you know, there's a lot of former golfers that have designed golf courses in countries that have terrible human rights violations as well, and they get paid to do that, so... That said, I, 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 it's fun, right? It, it feels like the Waste Management Open. Like, they got a lot of inspiration, Dawson, from that event, how that is a very raucous event. And it's known for being that where the crowds are just ridiculous and it's loud and there's music and everything like that. I would like there to be more top-tier golfers in their prime. And I think that's the one thing that holds the Live Tour back. 
I don't like the fact that it's only three rounds and everyone makes the cut. I don't care for that. I understand why they're doing it because they're trying to do something different. I like four rounds. It means something to have to be a warrior and go through four rounds and be able to survive on a Sunday. Like, that means something. And for me, the best golfers in the world still play on the PGA Tour. They just do, right? Scheffler, McElroy, Spieth, Rom. JT, Rom, right? So the, the world's best are still in the PGA Tour. It doesn't move the needle for me in particular to watch Poulter Pants go out there and, and struggle. Like, I, I just, it's, it's not a knock on those guys, but Phil's past his prime. You know, the only one that I look at, the, the, well, there's two. Right. Obviously, Brooks Kepka and DJ, Dustin Johnson. And even DJ, I mean, you know, we'll see this week, right? But, like, it hasn't been his performance in the in the majors. That's the other thing about it. We don't even get a great gauge of how these guys are playing because when they're playing in those tournaments, it's like, okay, if they win that event, what, what, do, we, what do we get from that, right? I'm old school. And once again, this is not a knock on the live tour. So let me be clear. But iron sharpens iron. And you get huge paychecks, and you don't even have to have any results, right? They're getting sinus bonus money of 100 to 150 to $200 million, and then go out there and still could get paid to be in a tournament that's only three rounds. That doesn't help you. Like So iron sharpens iron. You want to be the best golfer in the world, you have to go up and compete against the best golfers in the world. It's fun to watch. Don't get me wrong. I understand it. But it's not, for me personally, it's not on the same level as the PGA Tour. Because of the format and because the the caliber of golfer, they have some great ones. DJ is has been a great golfer. Brooks Kepka has been a great golfer. Patrick Reed has been, at times, very good. He's had great moments, but he's also had just mediocre moments. DeChambeau does not move the needle anymore. Now he's thin again. I can't keep up with what he's doing. But it's not the best golfers in the world. Yeah, well, and that's so. A couple of thoughts on that. Again, yeah, I don't have a strong. I'm. I would definitely side PGA Tour here. I like what the tour presents and what you said. If they got some more marquee names, and look, if they got to the point where it was a legitimate field and it was you know uh, thirty or forty legit tour pros over there that are that are top you know guys, and it kind of split it up, and we had two tours with top guys. Okay, maybe so. I do think what's very important is the four majors of golf uh, maintaining their importance, maintaining their, you know, um, tests of golfers. And so I yes. think, look, if you got to the point where you had two, and whether it's live or some other thing that comes from live or, you know, something else entirely, if you had two tours where guys were separate, but the World Golf Rankings and whoever else works with them and, it, and it's recognized and you get those guys to come together to play the four majors per year, then I'd be okay with it because then you still have that. That could almost add a little bit to the majors, right, where you see this guy's been dominating this tour and this guy's been dominating Correct. this tour, but now we're going to see them all collide Correct. in the majors. So, I would like to see it evolve into that. I think right now it, 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 it has but, some gimmicks, yeah. but I'd like to see it develop into that, whether it's that or something else. Once again, I have no beef with them, right? With But I like the tour that has the most competitive golfers in the world. 
And and with all that being said, I think the most likely scenario as far as maintaining the competition level is the tour winning out in the situation. That's that's kind of and I don't know, you know, there's there's some look, they live certainly they've been really successful in some aspects and they've struggled in others. Um my gut feeling still will be that the tour kind of, you know, I still, I really, and I wonder what Brooks Kepka's decision has to do with it. Does he end up going back to the tour? Is he able to? That could be a big factor. I agree. This is not resolved by any stretch of the imagination. Good phone call by Reynolds. We're going to take a time out when we return. The Mad Dog, Ron Higgins, will join us to talk all things LSU baseball and some LSU recruiting news. Got that Notre Dame running back, the in-state prospect to come back home. He's automatically the best running back they have on the roster. We'll dive into that as well. That's all coming up next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on The Game. 1037 Lafayette. 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. On Wednesdays, it's always our foodie poll question of the week. And we asked you, what's your favorite type of crackling? Is it the traditional pork crackling? Is it a chicken crackling, which are delicious? Is it a duck crackling, or is it all of them? 73% of you right now say pork. 21% say chicken. 6% say all of them. No votes for duck. Where's my folks in Gaydon at? Need to come in through this poll question. Get to some comments. Hart says, I don't eat pork because of religious beliefs, so I can't say to compare, but chicken crackling is hard to be defeated. On another note, we will still get foodie polls on Wednesday with the new format y'all have. These are the hard-hitting questions I need answers to. I will simply address that right now. Yes. Yes. Yes, that's not going away. Keep those votes going on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook or Twitter, and we'll continue to share them throughout today's show. Right now, it's time for us to talk all things LSU with the mad dog himself, Hollywood Higgins, columnist for Tiger Details, joins us now. Brother, good morning. How are you? I'm just grand, Raymond. How are you doing? (laughs) I am grand myself. So, let's dive into this LSU baseball team, bud. Well, not so grand. <laughs> not 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 so grand right now. L- lose back-to-back series in SEC play. Uh, they lose this past weekend to an awful Mississippi State team, and they scored 13 runs in a game and still ended up losing. My question to you is this. We know the bullpen is an issue. We saw Blake Money pitch well for a little while last night in the midweek win against McNeese until he gave up five straight two-out singles. <laughs> to blow his lead. Can Jay Johnson figure out a way to patch this together so they can at least get to Omaha and maybe compete for the College World Series? The offense has to get it there because the pigeons is just not going to happen. At this, at this point of the year, I mean, there's no miracles. They have, they have 10 relievers. None of them are really dependable. You know, I mean, 
I feel I feel sorry for Jay Johnson in the sense he keeps pushing pushing buttons and stuff just blows up. And also, but but I'm not going to say some of his fault, but I I mean despite I I still contend this despite Trey Morgan making tremendous three tremendous plays in the field left field on Sunday's game. I feel he's better off at first base because he saves, still saves. Now Ellis is going back to the throwing errors to first base, not getting the ball to first base. And he's the only guy in the team that can pick those things off and save them. And, and some of these rallies have started like last year against LSU, where you have two outs and, and a simple play that should be an out is a throwing error. And you got a, a freshman fresh over there trying to play first base most of the time. And, uh, I'm sorry. I, I, I just I think Trey Morgan should be playing first base, might save him some errors and, and might and might get these some of these pitchers out of these jams that they're that they're in. A lot of this stuff happens with two outs and then all of a sudden it just blows up. Uh he can help himself that way. Jay Johnson could also help himself by not making late inning substitutions automatically. In Sunday's game when they needed somebody like uh, like Blosko or Travinsky late in that game. Uh, in the last inning for bats, they weren't there because they'd already been pulled for somebody else. Uh, so he's going to automatically stop doing some stuff. Uh, now, I put part of this on him. Uh, Jay's a, a brilliant coach, but he has a tendency to overthink stuff sometimes. And those are the things that are starting to show up that I see. Maybe, again, he's a, he's a much better baseball mind than me. There's probably other baseball minds out there better than me, but uh, that's what I see. They got ten relievers they use. None of them are really dependable. You take your chances with them. You know, I probably the best of them is, is uh, freshman Gavin Gidry. He's probably the best of them. Uh, Bryce Collins Jr. has pitched well most of the time. Uh, but you know, three of your best pitchers on Saturday got got hammered. You know, by Mississippi State for like nine runs the last three innings. Uh, your, your best relievers. Uh, you don't know what you factor heard. You know, pitched great against Alabama Auburn. Did not so great against Mississippi State last night. Was pitched the last inning was okay. Uh, but no, I mean, can you fix at this point? No, you, you, you better make some moves elsewhere in your team to compensate for that because that's not going away. Well, and the thing you bring it up about Trey, so I was going to ask you about that is, you know, we know he can play first, right? So. Uh, what's the thinking with Jay Johnson not to have a guy that you know is great with his glove and be able to shore that up? Because there have been opportunities in the last couple weekends where the bullpen has done a good enough job, but then an inning is extended because of a fielding blunder, and then the game gets out of hand, and then the relief pitcher you know gets rocked a little bit. Why not make that move? I don't know, man. I'm, I'm with you. I don't know why he doesn't do it. I mean, does he feel like his nine best bats are in the lineup when Trey Morgan's left and he puts, uh, I think, it was, I think Jared Jones plays first. Yeah. Freshman who who's, who's a hell, it was a hell of a bat. No doubt about that. But, uh, do you sacrifice that or, you know, to help your pitchers? I would think so. I, I would do it. Uh, you know, it may, may some, so there's a thought by either putting Morgan left to showcase his talents to, to the majors that he can play left field. Look, 
Trey Morgan, if he's not playing first base in the, in the, in the majors, he's not, to me, he's not playing Hollis. There, there are very few defensive first basemen with his glove work that, that, that he has. Uh, that we've seen that the last two years. We've seen that this year when he's had a chance to play the late innings at first base. Uh, I just, I just, I, I, I think other moves have to be made to help your pitchers because I don't think the pitchers are going to help themselves at this point. I just, I just don't. Uh, it, it's gotten, they haven't gotten better, probably gotten worse. Uh, and again, yeah, they lost, they lost three of their best relievers, one before the season and two in season. And yeah, that, that, that hurts. But it, J, Jay Johnson keeps insisting they're, they're built to survive this. Uh, I haven't seen that much lately. Well, and uh, this is a rarity. You know, for all the criticism of Paul Maneri's teams, from May 1st on, they got better. And then they kind of built to a crescendo at the end in the tournament. This team has tailed off. And, it's, you know, going this last weekend, they desperately need to win this series. They need to win two out of three. Because I don't think they're a lock for a top eight, uh, a top eight pick yet for such a – to host a regional and then be a, a, a super regional host. I don't think they'll walk yet. I just don't. Well, that's kind of my question, Ron, is what does this team need to do, not only in this weekend, but over in Hoover, to feel like they're back trending in the right direction? You just you don't want to go in a regional play not feeling like you're playing your best baseball. Uh, correct. I think that they need to win the series this weekend. And probably in Hoover, I mean, they need to uh, win at least one. I don't, I don't know if they have to win two, but at least one. The, uh, you know, if it ends up, it's, it's standing ends up like it is. They'll probably play Kentucky in their game when they face Kentucky. Uh, but they you know they need that. They need to buy an SEC tournament to, to get to actually be in double elimination and not single elimination. So that helps. Uh, again, that being, I mean, I don't think they're a lock. They're, they're starting to slip to the point where it's just noticeable. And, and to lose to the second worst, that means the second worst team in the league on your home field and just get hammered. Uh, uh, you know, by by a team in in the last two games, uh, it's really inexcusable. Uh, and so, the, again, I don't think they can fix their pitching at this point. It is what it is, but they got to do other things a lot better to compensate for it. But I'll get you out of here with this, and it's a football question. Uh, we knew they were looking to improve their running back room. They got the young man from Union Parish, the freshman Trey Holly, who enrolled early. They got some other guys like Noah Kane, but they went out and got themselves a Louisiana native to transfer from Notre Dame, where he played for Brian Kelly, to come in and commit to play for the LSU Tigers. He had 1,000 all-purpose yards last year. He knows how to find the end zone. Is he automatically the starter in the LSU backfield now? No, I don't think anybody's automatically a starter. I mean, uh, even though he, he played, you know, it was at Notre Dame under, under, you know, under Ryan. Uh, I don't think, I think you have to go earn your, earn your spot no matter who you are with him. I think that's the way it is. Uh, 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 and I, I mean, LSU was looking for somebody and found Logan Diggs, you know, from Rubble in New Orleans and, uh, the, the LSU's farm feeder school, Notre Dame, supplied him with him. <laughs> uh, I don't think he's automatic, but obviously, I mean, he he fits the bill of a multi-talented back you can throw to and, and catch the ball. I mean, 821 yards rushing, four touchdowns last year, and 
10 catches, 211 yards, and uh, TDs, two TDs. Yeah, I mean, they, they desperately need them. I mean, because, uh, again, uh, uh, you know, yes, yeah, so you got get the young running back, and you got Josh Williams back. He seems to be the most underrated player in LSU history. It's like, I mean, when they have LSU running backs, no matter what Josh Williams does, it's like, oh, yeah, and they also have Josh Williams. <laughs> well, Josh Williams has been pretty, pretty darn good, pretty solid. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I, I think Biggs will definitely be high in the mix. Uh, Noah Kane improved a lot last year. He lost what he had a good spring. I like their running. Their running back room is a lot better now with the addition of Logan Diggs. There's a little more. There's more security there uh, uh, than they have been this spring because you still don't know what. Yeah, I don't even want to say the word John Emery. I just just don't. I mean, I I just. I mean, that means that he actually exists from the LSU's football team and helps him. And really, every the past two or three years, it's been one it's been one trial after another. Was he going to make his grades? Is he going to be around? Well, at this point, I think Brian Kelly's thinking, you know, he should, if he makes it great, if he don't, well, now i got Logan Diggs. So, you know, you know, you know John Emery has to decide what he's going to do, if he's going to do the right things and make the grades to get, you know, to, to play. But you know I, mean? I got – I got to go. I'm up against the break, but guess what? I'm never going to make you have to say John Emery's name again, okay? So you can know that, feel confident, feel good about yourself, and enjoy the rest of your day knowing that now, bud. No, I'm, I'm good now. I'm not, I can really just go on my day. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Dun, 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 dun. Foodie poll question of the week is always our poll question of the day on Wednesdays. What's your favorite type of crackling? Is it the traditional pork crackling? Is it chicken cracklings, which are really good, by the way? Is it duck crackling or is it all of them? Right now, 75% of you say pork, 19% say chicken, 6% say all of them. No votes for duck. No votes for the duck. I'm a little surprised by that. I thought Southwest Louisiana would come out for the duck cracklings. Ton simply went with the very efficient tweet, which I always appreciate from Ton. It, it just says yes. <laughs> yes. Always love Ton's efficient tweets. Robert on Twitter says, I chose pork, but man, I like some good chicken cracklings. You're not wrong. So do I. Our guy, D'Lo, not to worry. We're going to get you exposed to different forms of cracklings. Our man's only had the pork. It could be. It's a dangerous thing, though. It's dangerous. Because once we expose you to the crackling game here in southwest Louisiana, you may no longer be a healthy individual well we'll see and i and i again i don't mean to be offending anyone here but i haven't been the biggest fan of crackling when i've had now i there's a big difference between fresh crackling and i've learned that too like if you get it a place between like you know crackling it's it's yeah it's got to be fresh yeah, just like that, with anything else that rate of quality goes down at a steep incline so yeah like um, the like like the rate of quality of this show for, certainly 
<laughs> we got to take a time out. Hour number two is in the books. Hour number three, we'll kick it off with Jay Walker, the long-time voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. That's next right here on The Game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything. Everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Oh, me, oh, my crawfish pie. Hour number three has arrived here of RP3 and company. Coming up half an hour from right now, LSU softball coach Beth Trina will be joining us. Her team is hosting the Baton Rouge Regional yet again, national seed. A lot of people thought this was supposed to be a down season, but here they are. One of the best teams in the country, and of course, the Louisiana Regent Cajuns will be taking part in that regional. Just a short drive over the basin. That'll begin on Friday. And we'll talk about that. Looking forward to that later on today in a half hour from right now. Don't forget, though, to vote on the poll question of the day. We want to hear from you. It's all about what's your favorite type of crackling? Because it's Wednesday. It's the foodie poll question of the week. What's your favorite type of crackling? 76% of you are saying pork. 18% say chicken. 6% say all of them. No votes yet for duck. No votes for the duck. Although for sure Southwest Louisiana would be saying duck. I've had duck cracklings, by the way. They're delicious, as all cracklings are. So make sure to keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. But right now, it's time for us to talk all things Vermilion and White. Big series for the Louisiana Raging Cajun baseball team. They came off a great weekend. Matt Deggs' team, some of the best baseball they played all year as they swept Texas State. Now they're looking to build even more momentum for the conference tournament in Montgomery as they wrap up the regular season with a three-game set at Southern Miss. To break it down for us is our good friend, Jay Walker joins us now jay good morning to you brother how are you my friend i'm just having the time of my life i'm i'm, I'm if i was any better i'd be dawson Iserlo. <laughs> there it is yes yes sir yes sir all right bud let's uh let's start off just overall picture here the way this team played the way this team came through grinded out and swept texas state just how big of a deal was that for Matt Diggs' team to be able to do that at this point of the season? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, look, right now you're jockeying for position for the conference tournament. You want to finish in the top six. And uh, I thought it was imperative that the Cajuns win at least three, maybe four of the last six in order to accomplish that. Well, they've got three down. Uh, and so they're in good position right now to finish in the top six. They could finish in the top six, even if they don't win a game this weekend. 
uh, but they would need some help. But they're in good shape now. Well, Jay, the Cajuns, you know, got it uh, both on the mound and at the plate consistently on offense. That maybe isn't as much of a surprise. We've seen this lineup kind of come together. Um, but you got a couple of standout pitching performances. Jackson Nezu looked like the guy that we've kind of been waiting on, and we've seen more of that more recently. And then Carson Fluno kind of followed it up on Saturday. Yeah, I you know, Nezu, it's been a week-to-week thing. We've seen him get better every single week. And I think he's gotten to the point now where, you know, he's pretty much a weapon. Um, you know, Fluno, I think, is getting a lot more comfortable uh, in a starting role after being used out of the bullpen most of the year. So, you know, excited for those two guys. Um, you know, Sunday, uh, the Cajuns walked eight and hit two. But guess what? Texas State did the same thing, and they did all theirs all at once. That enabled the Cajuns to make it a sweep. Well, and on that same note, Jake Hammond didn't quite look as comfortable. He's still clearly battling some things, and, you know, you got a couple of different performances. Cooper Rawls still continues to be as reliable as anybody. Um, does it now feel like, especially if Nezu and Fluno are going to give you what they gave you, maybe you do have enough to piece this together in a tournament setting, whereas a couple of weeks ago it was feeling like maybe they weren't going to have enough arms? Yeah, I you know, that chapter has yet to be written. Uh, we'll see. Uh, Hammond is probably done for the year. He said so yesterday uh, at the um, uh, at the Diamond Club uh, meeting. So, you know, what they did Sunday where they came, you know, with cash for a couple and then they threw Moody and then they threw, um, I don't know, Couch and then they threw Rawls and they had Etheridge ready. And they, you know, you're going to you're going to see them have to do that in that third game of any series now. Um and so it becomes imperative that Nezu and Fluno give them some innings, you know, and, and, and not be have one of those days where they get knocked out in the second inning because now your bullpen is stretched for the entire weekend when that happens. So those two guys are a key as far as going out and giving them quality starts. And if they do that, they might piece the rest of it together. Who knows? Well, now you mentioned the two-week stretch, Texas State and Southern Miss, that looked pretty daunting. You've already gotten off to a great start, but now you have three games against the hottest team in the conference, one of the best teams. It looks like maybe in college baseball here in the second half of the regular season in the Southern Miss Golden Eagles. you got to go to their place, which is always a difficult place to play. And uh, their longtime skipper announcing that this is going to be his final season and Scott Berry, who's done so much for that program. It's going to be, uh, seems like a pretty daunting task for the Cajuns, but... This time of year, you got to be up for things like that, right? Um, we're not going. We're not going. We're, we're going to stay home. We're scared. Um, <laughs> the, I mean, gosh, um, no, man. I look. Everything you say is true. All right, they're a very good club. There's a reason why they were a preseason top ten team. Uh, they're playing their best baseball of the year right now. They won 13 in a row. Um, They've got as good a home field advantage as there is uh, because, you know, they, they have great attendance and, and their people show up and they're loud. Uh, you know, all of those things. But, you know, Cajuns are playing their best ball of the year right now. And, uh, you know, the Cajun lineup is not going to be scared of Southern Mrs. pitching. And the Cajuns also have become an elite I don't use that word very often. An elite defensive team. 
Now, they've given up like 1,300 runs all season. So, you know, if they go out and, and they get good starting pitching, they're going to have a chance there. Um, you know, of the, the last six games played between the two schools, five of them were very, very close. I expect nothing different this weekend. Uh, I expect these to be two of the better teams getting after each other. And we'll, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens at the end. It, it might be a game where, hey, the team that, the team that blinks loses. I, I really don't know what to expect except that I think the Cajuns are going to bring their A game because their A game is kind of shining right now. We're talking with Jay Walker, a longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Jay, when it's all said and done and this three-game set is wrapped up, do you believe that Matt Deggs' team will have a top six or even a top four seed for the conference tournament next week in Montgomery? Yeah, we'll see. Um, you know, you're asking me to predict wins for this weekend, and I, I don't know that, that it's a good idea for me to do that. Um, I think that this team is going to be ready to play in the tournament. Now, you know, you're going to be either on the same side of Southern Miss or the same side of Coastal Carolina. So either way, you're going to have a, a Buffalo in front of you. Um, but, you know, the Cajuns have shown they could play with Coastal. I think they're going to show they can play with Southern Miss. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. You know, you, Tony Robichaud used to say it all the time. You hit your way to a tournament. I'm sorry. You pitch your way to a tournament. You hit your way through a tournament. And if he becomes a prophet, then I think the chances for the Cajuns are as good as anybody else's because they're swinging the bat really, really well right now. Um, I, I think the tournament is, I mean, obviously they're going to be two favorites, and we'll see if it, if it plays that way. But, but, but man, there are, there are teams in this league that are good enough to jump up and bite you for one game and sometimes that's all you need to get the favorite in trouble. Jay, I want to switch over to the softball team while we have a few minutes left here. Uh, they win their conference tournament. Uh, they don't get the opportunity to host a regional, and they get to go play in Baton Rouge yet again, which is becoming quite the tradition in itself. But listening to Jerry Glasgow talk during his press conference afterwards and listening to him talk this week, and I'll ask him – about it when he comes on the show tomorrow it, it, it sure does feel like that this team is locked in it sure does feel like this team doesn't care that they have to go across the basin to play and it feels like they may have a bit of a chip on their shoulder with something to prove uh do you believe that they can take what a lot of Cajun fans perceive as a slight turn that into something that will help them get over the hump and win the Baton Rouge regional this weekend I think they're going to play nasty um I I you know, I've gotten to know the makeup of this team a little bit more than other teams after spending a week with them on the road early in the season. Um, they, they, they've got some girls that really have some compete in them. And I, I, I'm with you, man. I think they feel slighted. I think they're going to go in there PO'd. Um, you know, is that going to be good enough? We'll see. Uh, but, you know, look, they, they got slighted. They know they got slighted. And... Uh, you know, will that give them just the extra thing they need to, to get over the hump at that regional? Because they've come close several times. That's right. And not one. Um, so, you know, we'll see. 
I I still maintain uh, that you wanna you wanna play at home. You're better off playing at home. Uh, you are at a disadvantage if you're playing on the road. But these two teams are fairly evenly matched, and you're going to have a very motivated Cajun team over there. I hope that's enough because I I really think that this team is good enough to make noise in the postseason. And uh, so I'm I'm rooting for them. I'm still upset that they're not playing at home, and I think that it puts them at a disadvantage. We'll see if they can overcome it. Well, we'll get you out of here with this one, Jay. What will it take to overcome that? We know that they've been so good in the circle for the first time, maybe in a long time. They have multiple different pitchers that they'll throw at you. They'll go with Shorman. They'll go with Landry. They have Kandra Lamb as a weapon out of the bullpen. The lineup has kind of come together. It's been a lot of mixing and matching and placing players in different situations. But uh, what's it going to take for this team to, to do that and get over the hump? I think the key this weekend is don't blink and what then by that I mean don't make a critical error you know the 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 one thing about this team that if we're going to be honest that we can say okay this is a drawback for this team is they're not great defensively they're they've played a little better recently and I think now that they've gone ahead and put um Vasquez at second base which is something that I talked about a month ago um I, I think they're better up the middle defensively, but they're going to have to play championship defense if they're going to get through that regional. Because sometimes all it takes is one error, and then you wind up giving one or two runs, which prove to be the difference. If they go out and play good defense for, for three days, they're going to have a chance to win that thing. Jay? Appreciate you, Tom. As always, brother, enjoy your trip to Hattiesburg and enjoy the call, and we'll talk to you next week, my friend. I will look forward to it. Thank you so much. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru, oof, and I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. A clash of the Titans, if you will, uh, uh, in the NJCAA. Weight class, LSUE, Pearl River. Duked it out at Bengal Stadium yesterday. And LSUE got the best, got the better of the, what's Pearl River? What are they? They would be the Wildcats. The Wildcats. We have a, we have a lot of um, big feline themed mascots <laughs> in this tournament. We've already yeah, seen in, the in Tigers, the, the Wildcats, and the Bengals. Yes, all yeah, in the South, it's a big cat country. Apparently, at all uh, levels. 
But LSUE guts out a 6-4 win over the defending national champs. And they move on in this tournament. You were there on the call. This tournament has tested LSUE. They're the one seed. They had to gut out a win in dramatic fashion in the opener. And then they had their hands full again yesterday. Yeah, and, and you know, look, I I haven't done a I haven't been as involved in junior college baseball until this season. So I, you know, heading into this tournament, you're you know, the Bengals are forty nine and three. I saw them dominate for most of the season. So you start to think, oh, I mean, this regional tournament, they should be pretty heavy favorites, and as long as they play well, and then you you start looking into it, which is what I was doing when I was talking to some of the other coaches, and you go, wait a minute, the number one team in the country is here, and that's the Bengals, but the number three team in the country is in this tournament. The number four team in the country is in this tournament. All six teams are either in the top 25 or receiving votes, and that's in all of junior college Division II baseball. That's not just you know, rankings of teams around here. So it quickly became, oh, wait, they're going to have to play good baseball every single game to win. Like You're not going to just roll over, and that was evident in the first game against the quote-unquote sixth seed, the worst team in the tournament, if you will, and it took everything they had to beat them. So they come out yesterday. They were facing a plus arm. Cooper Cooksey is a guy for uh, Pearl River who's going to South Alabama next season. Uh, from the right side, had an ERA under one and a half. And the Bengals jumped on him early. He didn't look settled in. They got three runs in the top of the first, helped out by a couple of walks and some key hits. Um, and they would never really relinquish that lead. Now, they had some moments. Look, Pearl River battles back. They hit a massive homer. They hit a big two-run shot later on to get within one run. And then they had the bases loaded in a 6-4 game. And the Bengals roll a huge double play ball. Jacob Moore, the two-lane commitment, comes out of the bullpen, throws one pitch with the bases loaded, one out, and gets a 6-4-3 double play, turned up the middle. Um, on a difficult play, by the way, Dawson Willis, younger brother of C.J. Willis of the Raging Cajuns, uh, had to make a drop step, quick turn, and they got that double play. There was just a couple of plays like that were just that were just huge. And look, they caught a couple of breaks early. Um, the bases were loaded with one or with one out. Yeah, early in this game. And um, second baseman for Pearl River hit a screamer at the third baseman, Corey Cooper, who happened to just be standing there. It really could have been three runs, a bases-clearing double. He catches it, steps on third for a double play. There was those types of moments where it just kind of lined up for the Bengals. Um, Connor Binge didn't have his best stuff, but he battled through, gave them six innings, and they got another impressive win. So now they're on to the double winner's bracket game. Um, I told you about a little bit of a complex format. Thankfully, all held um, all held true, and we get the traditional double elimination format from here on out. There's no flipping of the bracket, unfortunately, for Meridian. They were trying to flip the bracket upside down. They didn't get that done, so they are eliminated. So East Central and LSUB, both 2-0, and they'll match up today, and from there on out, we'll have a more traditional double elimination tournament. Double elimination tournament, which I love. So, LSUE advances. Let's talk a little bit about the Louisiana Raging Cajun golf team. First time they won the conference tournament under longtime coach Theo Sliman this year, and that means they get to go play in the regionals. And you know what? They made some moves yesterday. Eli Ortigo, he drove himself up the leaderboard, the sophomore. He shot a three under 69 in the second round of the play there at the NCAA Norman Regional. And the Lafayette native is now tied for 12th on the individual leaderboard and moved up 13 spots on the day. As a team, the Raging Cajuns moved up all the way to 12th place, carding at 2 over 290. Alabama 
paces the field at 15 under as hosts Oklahoma, Texas Tech, Colorado, and North Florida round out the rest of the top five. They will wrap up play today at the 54-hole regional. Tea time is going to be at 925, and the Raging Cajuns are going to be paired up with both Kansas and UNCW. And Coach Theo Sliman had this to say. He had nothing but positive things to say about his young sophomore who helped catapult them back into a 12th place spot in the standings. And they'll gear up for tomorrow's slate. We'll go ahead and take a timeout here when we come back on RP3 and Company. The longtime skipper of the LSU softball team, Beth Torino, will be joining us. That's coming up right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to RP3 and Company right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Don't forget to keep your votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we will share them before we sign off on today's show. Right now, though, it's time for us to welcome on our fourth and final guest of the day, and it's a good way to end strong like this. Since taking over the LSU softball program in 2011, prior to the 2012 season, she has simply guided the Tigers to 11 regional appearances, seven super regional appearances, four trips to the Women's College World Series, 488 wins. This year's team is 40-15. They earned the number 10 national seed, and they will be the host team for the Baton Rouge Regional, which will begin on Friday there at Tiger Park. It's our privilege to welcome to RP3 and Company, the longtime coach of the LSU softball program. Beth Torina joins us. Coach, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Can I just have you like follow me around and hype me up like that? That was pretty legit. I appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) Not not a problem, coach. I can do that. I can do that. So uh, look, let's let's talk about this season because some people thought that this may be a little bit of a kind of a rebuild season for you with all the talent that you lost yet here we stand you guys are a national seed for an NCAA regional and another 40 win season in the books well I thought this was a great team from the get-go so um, I don't know if I agree with those that thought it was a rebuild I think this is a super talented team I was excited about them from day one of the fall you know, I like some of the pieces that we added um, out of the transfer portal. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see Hannah Carson compete due to an ACL. We will next year. 
Um, but with Carly Petty and uh, the freshmen, Sid Burzon, Macy Bajeron, some of the you know pieces that we added, I was really excited about this group. You were excited about the group, but how difficult is it to maintain the level of success year in, year out that you've been able to do there at LSU? Yeah, it's challenging. And I, I don't know if, um, you know, when you're on the outside, if you really understand all that goes into it and the, the work and the effort. And, you know, I, I think it really is just a, a huge credit to the awesome players we've had come through this program, to my staff that's been so loyal and worked so hard. Um, but um, it, it's one thing to get there. It's another thing to stay there. How do you, as a veteran coach, keep uh, the new girls that come in focused? Because you guys have had such sustained success that it's easy for a young player to take it for granted when they come to LSU. They think, well, we're always good. This is going to be easy when in reality you really win a lot of your games in the offseason, how you prepare and how you practice. So what do you and your staff do to make sure those younger girls that come into the program or those young women who transfer in understand what it takes to stay on top, to stay relevant, to stay one of the best programs in the country. Yeah, I do think that's a challenge every year, and I think you've nailed it. Honestly, I think sometimes people think because, you know, it says LSU on our chest and we're by no means the only program that feels that way. But, you know, just because of what's happened in the past, it'll happen again, and there's really no guarantees in this deal at all. So, um, we were lucky this year. We had some really strong leadership. You know, our, we have three fifth-year seniors, Georgia Clark, Allie Kilpone, and Savannah Stewart, that have just upheld the standard. They uphold the culture. Um, they've really set a tone for this team. And, you know, our, our freshman class has been super bought in the entire time and have been a huge part of the uh, accomplishments this season. Well, Coach Dawson Eisel here. I want to congratulate you on the season so far. But let's talk a little bit about this regional. It's It's really intriguing and You've got a team like the Louisiana Raging Cajuns from, you know, not very far from Baton Rouge who have been in Baton Rouge before for regionals and certainly were in the mix for a host. Also a team in Omaha who's got one of the best pitchers in the country and then Prairie View as well as the four seed who's the first team that y'all will see. So just your overall thoughts on this regional field. Well, I think overall we're just grateful to continue playing. You know, I know there's a lot of teams that didn't hear their name called. There's a lot of girls who not just their season was ended, their career was ended on Sunday night. So I think the big thing is just to find some joy in the fact that we're getting another week of softball and, you know, we're going to take the field here at Tiger Park. So we're really grateful for the opportunity. You know, with your team specifically, I feel like I've been watching Taylor Pleasance and Georgia Clark play for LSU for 10 years now. Uh, they've been a fixture in the middle of the lineup for so long. So how valuable is it to have two girls like that in the middle? And then also they kind of protect each other in the lineup, usually hitting back-to-back or close to it. Well, I'd love to watch them play for another 10 years if we could. You know, they're so special. Um, I'd love to be in their coach. And we do get Taylor Pleasance for another year, so that's awesome. Um, you know, unfortunately, we'll say goodbye to Georgia at the end of the season. But um, they're just veteran players, veteran hitters that have veteran at-bats. You know, you know when they go up to the plate, they're going to give you a quality at-bat, something competitive, something productive. And, you know, I, I don't think there's a lot of pitching that can fool them at this point in their life. I mean, I'm not saying they get a hit every time, but – um, I think they always have a competitive, productive at bat just because of their experience. And what about in the circle? You've got a, a couple of different options. You know, really, Ali Kilponen and Sidney Berzon um, have, have kind of started the majority of your games, but you've also seen Raylan Chafin and Aaliyah Johnson pitch out of the, you know, out of the bullpen there. So how do you approach a regional when you have you know, multiple options in the circle? 
Well, I think that's been a big strength of ours down the stretch here is that we have a lot of different people we can go to. We have a lot of arms, um, and we've used them, you know. I mean, we saw Ailey Johnson. We saw Emily Casanova, you know, on Sunday against Georgia give us some really good innings. I think um, using them in combination has worked really well for us, too, which is not something I've typically done. I can't say it's something I'm really comfortable in, but um, trying to find some comfort there because they're all really talented and they can – you know, do some really big things when we match them up and when we use them in, in combination, too. We're talking with LSU head softball coach Beth Trina. She joins us here on RP3 and Company. The Tigers went 40-15 and 15 this year. They earned the number 10 national seed. They will be the host team for the Baton Rouge Regional, which begins play this Friday. Coach, I, I want to talk about that. You, a regional format is so unique and how you – attack it how it's approached the the format itself can be at times challenging and so much different than what you do in a regular season or even at the conference tournament so what are some of the things that you and your staff do to ensure that you try to keep it as routine based as possible and not let the distraction of hosting the regional and having all friends and family there as well get in the way of what your ultimate goal is is to win the regional yeah, it's tough. I mean, the regional is, is really just a tough setup, and it does feel like a little daunting to, you know, understand what you have to do, compete against not just one, two, but three really quality opponents and have a plan for them, be prepared for them, you know. Um, so I think you have to draw back on kind of your early season tournaments when we're facing multiple opponents in a weekend and, you know, some quality opponents there. So um, really just getting them prepared for a lot of different looks and a lot of different things and, you know, understanding it's Baton Rouge, it's going to be hot, it's going to be a grind, and you're going to have to push through it. The weather is obviously always wrecks havoc this time of the year, and the humidity is now ramping up, as you just indicated, which is which is always pleasant. We always look forward to that at, at this time of the year. But uh, let's talk about, you know, you guys have a possibility that you'll face off against the Raging Cajuns, and this has happened a lot. Uh, the two teams play each other twice every year, and they've faced off so many times in regionals over the years as well. And, of course, Yvette Girard is a big linchpin between the two programs as well, her legendary Hall of Fame career at both schools. When you saw that the regional you guys were hosting and then that the Cajuns were going to be part of it, what does that say about these two programs that they are getting paired up and there's such amount of buzz about it, the fact that the Cajuns and the Tigers are going to be facing off yet again in a postseason tournament yet again? Yeah, I think it's pretty incredible that, you know, we drew three conference tournament champions in this regional, you know, three teams that are really playing some of their best softball right now that have just, you know, come off big wins and big weekends where they had to do something similar to this regional where they, you know, really fought through the tournament to come out on top. And, um, you know, I, I think all, all three programs are definitely going to have their challenges for us as we start this weekend. I mean, um, I think ULL, of course, we have a ton of respect for them. They're a really quality program. They, um, you know, always put together a really, really solid team. And, um, you know, honestly, they had a really strong resume. They deserve to be a host themselves this year. There's no doubt in my mind. Well, Coach, we'll get you out of here with this last question. Um, on Sunday, when the regional championship wraps up and uh, a champion is named, uh, your LSU Tigers will be the champions of that regional if what happens? Um, I think if we play LSU softball, honestly, I think, you know, we've been led a lot lately by 
some really strong defense. I think, you know, we've got to play solid defense. We've got to, you know, not be perfect or errorless, but I think if we can set the tone there and just make a routine plays and, you know, some of our really great defenders step up and make a couple of those exciting, great ones too, I think we'll be in good shape. Coach, I want to ask you something about your your career. What's the big thing that you've learned from in your career maybe that you didn't know early on before you even arrived at LSU that you know now that you wish you knew when you were younger? Man, you got all the hard ones this morning, huh? <laughs> <laughs> You're coming at me with the tough questions here. Um, I think just staying true to who you are is really important. And, I, and that being said, I think you also can't be afraid to change and grow. Um, I think there's new ideas, new concepts, new technology all the time. Like you've got to find a balance between um, who you are and finding a way to work in some of these new and awesome things that, you know, we can use to make our players better. So at the end of the day, that balance is just really, really tough. Um, But I think that's the key. And to, to follow that up, because you mentioned it about being able to adapt, how fundamentally important is it for not only yourself but for coaches out there, period, to be able to adapt to this world we live in now with the NCAA transfer portal, with NIL and everything that comes with that. You have to re-recruit your own kids every year and then have to go out and get players that already have three or sometimes four years of experience. How much, how important is that, Coach, to be able to adapt to that kind of world that we live in now? Yeah, I think it's huge. And, you know, I think um, there's such a, a fine line between – keeping your word and, you know, standing up for who you are, keeping your word to your own current team and staying loyal to them, but still being able to grow your program and build your program in any way, shape, or form, you know, and that's the portal, that's NIL, that's all the new opportunities that are out there for these women. And I think if you view it as opportunities for, you know, our women to get a lot of things that they've deserved over the years, I think, you know, it can be really, really positive. But um, I guess I've, I've never wanted to be called the, the old school coach. Like, I, you know, I appreciate that I've been here a long time and have done things a certain way, but I think, you know, we've got to make sure that we're not behind the times. We're keeping up with, you know, what's happening in the country, and we're trying to be on the cutting edge of all the new things as well. We'll get you out of here with this, Coach. Uh, you know, uh, Kim Mulkey made quite a, quite a splash with some of uh, her suits that she wore on game days on the way to a national title. If you guys make it to uh, Oklahoma City, can we expect to see you rocking something that is bedazzled in the dugout <laughs> on, on, on game day? Well, my team's been very glittery all year. You know, they've had the hair glitter and the all kinds of the, the eye black glitter. They've been very sparkly all year, so I think we are channeling our inner uh, Kim Mulkey and you know she is we're, we're lucky to have her but um, the funny thing is every time we've been to the College World Series it's like I turn around and someone on my staff is doing something crazy and I'm like Quinlan why do you have purple hair and she's like well I sold them back in February if we went to the World Series we'd have purple hair so every time we get there we all crack up at the things that we agreed to if and when we make it to the <laughs> College World Series it, it's been it, it's been really funny coach Appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Congratulations on yet another great season, and best of luck to you and the Tigers this weekend and moving forward. Thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is the epitome of a high roller, constantly making large bets. 
But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet. That netted me a cool $6.70. What? Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. 19. Hit me. 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. Now back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, great stuff there with Beth Trina, the LSU head softball coach. She's had a great run there. And once again, she has another team. Looks like it could be making yet another run. Appreciate her time. Also, appreciate all the guests that came on today. Beth Trina, LSU softball coach. Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cages. Ron Higgins. The Mad Dog himself from Tiger Details. And, of course, Chris Forsaro, who gave us some great insight about the PGA Championship, which we'll be teeing off tomorrow up in New York. I want to thank all of them for taking time out today to be with us here on RP3 and Company. Just a reminder, programming reminder, not to forget, tonight, the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, is your home for the McNeese Coaches Show, presented by Mr. Bill's Seafood Express, Southwest Beverage Company, line of bed out of Westlake in the Southwest Louisiana Law Center. Tune in tonight starting at 6, as host Jim Gazzola will be talking with Athletic Director Heath Schroyer and softball coach James Landrino. That's right, the Cowgirls are gearing up to head out to Seattle to take part in that regional with Washington being one of the national seeds, a team they have already defeated, by the way. You can hear it all right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the McNeese Coaches Show. So after the McNeese Coaches Show wraps up at 7 o'clock, we'll switch over to Houston Astros baseball. Astro launch will take you until about 10 minutes after 7 o'clock, and then the Astros will be taking on the Chicago Cubs. They'll be looking for the sweep after taking the first two games of this series. So McNeese Coaches Show tonight, 6-7, to seven, as Jim Gazzola will be talking with Athletic Director Heath Schroyer and Head Softball Coach James Landrino. And then at 7 o'clock, pregame begins for Astros-Cubs live right here on the game. Poll question of the day. Ooh, we asked you, it's a good one. Because you know on Wednesdays, it's always our foodie poll question of the week. What's your favorite type of crackling? Is it pork? Is it chicken? Is it duck? Or is it all of them? Final results, 64% of you say it's got to be pork. 20% say chicken. 4% of you say duck. Oh, man. My people came out. They voted for the duck. And 12% of you say all of them because it's all just delicious goodness, the cracklings. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day. And yes, the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlow, we will expand his palate when it comes to the Cracklins. Maybe we could do some sort of like Cracklin tour 
Just go to all the best crackling spots. Now, you'll gain about 57 yeah, pounds. Yeah, maybe not. This. Maybe we don't do that. <laughs> yeah, that'll be my ultimate goal. I continue to lose weight, and then I'll try to pack the pounds on you. And maybe we'll eventually kind of meet in the middle. And no, we'll... thanks. I no. think I don't want to do that. <laughs> the, man, the man says, no, thanks. No, thanks. I'm trying not to be referred to as the big, bald, and beautiful one. That's your deal, RP3. It's not my deal. I'm D-Lo. Okay? I got hair on my top of my head. I'm healthy. Okay, I don't have old man get off my long takes. Okay, well, so I got just a couple. Stop. Uh, you do. I do yeah, 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 yeah. There, there's there's a bit of a curmudgeon inside of you for being so young. A lot of it's new school takes, but in an old school kind of way of giving them. I think. I think that's yes. how I describe it. But like, look, when we yes. get to college football ranking, not rankings, but <laughs> preseason poll, group of you're five gonna... disrespect. There's a lot of stuff we we'll, we'll oh, talk yeah. about. You're going to get nice and ramped up for the fall, which yeah. is going to be great for look, us. The Bearcats gave Alabama as good a game as they've got in the playoff. There you go. You'll hear all about it. <laughs> Cincinnati, they they weren't the pawn. They really deserved their spot. That's that's a that's a preview of what's com- what's to come. <laughs> that's a preview of what you could expect to come. Oh, man. Good stuff, bud. Good stuff. Good job today. That's going to do it for today's show. Hey, coming up tomorrow, we're going to talk more about the PGA Championship. Kevin Price from PGATour.com will be joining us. We'll talk softball regional with Louisiana Raging Cajun softball coach Jerry Glasgow. We'll talk Saints and Pellies. You know, they got the number 14 pick in the lottery. With Les East tomorrow as well. So, Make sure to tune in for that 6 to 9. But that's going to do it for today. Until tomorrow, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game.